0: I think for anyone that does sports nutrition, being able to give the advice without actually experience how the athlete feels in that situation is challenging. I think for the likes of the elite athletes, they recognise that if they want to get better, they have to eat, and I think that's what kind of what I really like in CrossFit. That you're seeing that the people that are doing well are feeling well, and they have all of those things in line. Now, there's obviously the other side of the spectrum, but. You're seeing that maybe they're not progressing at a rate that they should be or what's kind of holding them back i really need to fuel my body in order to improve your performance and then the aesthetics kind of comes as a byproduct of that athletes are spending more time in recovery and they're actually performing so it's what they're doing outside of that time that's going to make the biggest impact on their performance 75 percent aren't doing the basics well They're not structuring their meals. They don't even have an idea what they're going to eat, what their snack should be, having non-gaps. And like when you fix that, everything else starts falling into place. It's what you're doing consistently. Like one meal isn't going to make a massive difference. It's what you've, and if you're consistently eating low carbs, just say from Monday to Thursday, and then you're trying to just fuel up, it's kind of the ship of sail there. So it's what you're doing on seven days a week rather than what one meal on one day.
1: hey everyone this is dr josh williamson and you're listening to episode 11 of the complete performance podcast more people than ever are struggling with poor energy suboptimal health and are wanting to perform at the best for everything they want to achieve in their life today i had the absolute pleasure of sitting down with eva hoy eva is a performance dietitian who's worked in the clinical care setting providing nutritional support to patients with a wide range of diseases She's now working as a full-time performance dietitian and is working alongside Daniel Davy and the Dublin Senior Herders. Eva's passion for performance-based sports nutrition developed from her own personal experience through sport. She now trains and competes in CrossFit where her own personal experience have led her to understand the role of nutrition in performance enhancement. This is exactly why I wanted to sit down with Eva. So please... Help me in welcoming this week's guest, Eva Hoy. Eva, how are you?
0: I'm good, how are you?
1: Yeah, I'm very well, thanks, very well. It's been it's been a while since we've chatted. It has,
0: it has, yeah, thanks so much for having me on.
1: No, thanks for thanks for coming on. We'll delve into why I asked you, because I think both of us probably have a lot of value to offer this, but I want to just start off with just getting up to speed of what you've been doing over the last couple of years.
0: Yeah, so God, a lot has changed since the first conversations that we had. I think it was out in Avenge. Um, So I did my undergrad in dietetics um, and I started, that was through COVID and I started working, I think, two or three months after. And even through my placement, I kind of knew, okay, I don't know if this is exactly what I want to do. I, I really had a passion for sports and working with people that really wanted to get better and I think um, in the hospital setting you're obviously working with sick people or people that really actually don't want your input so I kind of got a little bit frustrated so I always wanted to go down the sports route I said I'll just do it now so I started the masters in September while working full-time Um, and I don't think I'd recommend it to anybody it was just too much work and just the type of person that I am I think I would I just overwork anyway. So I did the master's um all online through Ulster and um got through it. Um thank God with <laughs> the skin of my teeth. No, I, I I did well enough, but it was just something that I wouldn't recommend working full time and doing it. But it was a good opportunity to through COVID, nothing was really happening. So I said, I may as well. Um and then at the end of the I think it was near the end of the masters that I was speaking with yourself, Josh, and we were kind of discussing that. You really don't have a whole pile unless you get some work experience. So it's like, right, what do I really do next? Like the doors don't really open for you yeah. if you haven't worked with teams. So you can have all the knowledge in the world, but you actually can't apply it. Yeah. So I think that's. I was like, okay, what do I do next? Um, I reached out to a lot of people. I reached out to yourself. I reached out to Daniel, and I was very lucky that I um came on board with the deep nutrition team. And from there, that's when I think all of my learnings began. Um, and seeing the team what they were doing and how they were progressing, and even doing presentations, and that's where I started learning. And I think you know yourself when you're working with people that are very ambitious and are always trying to strive for better, that's the way you that's the way you become. Yeah. So I started working, was it through with sports nutrition? I was still working full time in the hospital. Um, That was October, it was over a year and a half ago. So I was working full time. And after that, then coming home, doing sports nutrition, doing stuff for daily nutrition, I was really enjoying it. I was like, this is the really stuff that I love. And so I had to really kind of make a decision that, okay, what do I really want? I knew that working in hospital wasn't something that I overly enjoyed, but it was paying the bills. I had to kind of continue doing that. So there was more work coming up. I was doing, I was taking on um, teams myself, and taking on some clients myself, and doing workshops with baby nutrition. So I kind of had to make a decision. Um, really, what did I want? So I ended up going. Handed in my notice going part-time locum um, as a dietitian in the hospital. And that was around the March of 22. And then I went part-time sports nutrition. So I was trying to balance the two of them, um, working longer hours in the hospital, coming home. It was actually working eight to six, going maybe to the gym, um, and then maybe home by eight o'clock and doing work online. I was like, hey, this really isn't sustainable for me either. So then um but then I went part-time locum and that was good so I was working um half in the hospital half sports nutrition really enjoying that and then I got the opportunity to go full-time with Dave Nutrition I was like this is unbelievable I couldn't um put that put that down so with that opportunity um I was able to take on more work and from there it's been great I haven't really looked back and I'm doing all the things that I really enjoy and with that it's Working with the Dublin hurlers, um, working with clients online, loads of different types of athletes. And it's really good when you're seeing them progress and actually reaching their goals rather than going into patients that don't really want anything got to do with you. Yes. So I've been really enjoying that work. Um, and as I was going full time, then I was still living in Belfast. Um, and with working with uh at the elite team you're have to be there and um, on on site whenever they're training so I was traveling up and down from Belfast three times a week and I thought initially no I can do this this is fine my life's in Belfast uh, my gym's there I all my friends are there I was like this will be fine the start it was and then it just kind of got to me road hours were just absolutely killing me so I made the decision that I was going to move down and I'm living in Dublin now and still just settling in, just moved down just over a month ago. So still transitioning into living somewhere else, but it has been a lot better for even my head and not having to travel two or four hours a day. So it's been great and I'm really enjoying working with um, the hurlers. They're a great bunch and even lots of learning from my side as well. But it's good to be in that team sport setting and being able to bounce things off all the different people that are working there.
1: Yeah. No, it's it's been a roller coaster for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Definitely not a smooth one, but um no, it's been great.
1: Yeah. But if, it. <laughs> if it was smooth, then it wouldn't it wouldn't give you the satisfaction that you have now, you know. Yeah. Um but it's interesting. It's I've heard it so many times before that when you're in that clinical setting, the people you're working with either just aren't ready to accept the advice you're trying to give Mm
0: -hmm. or just
1: the actual time that you have to do what you want to do is just impossible. So you're always sort of restricted there, whereas now that you're working with teams and you have a lot more time to actually implement and actually dig deep with those clients to implement the things that you want to do, which really helps, you know? For sure, Yeah. yeah. But one of the things you said there is It's funny, I had a conversation yesterday with a girl who was probably in your position a couple of years ago, halfway through the master's, getting ready to finish, and she's like, I know all this stuff, but how do I actually work with people? You know, and that's a massive limitation I see with a lot of the academic courses, and certainly a big lesson that I learned when I first came into being a practitioner was I thought I was academically smart, had the master's and the PhD, and was all great and then you find out very quickly that when you try to do things that's in the book it just doesn't work on a real life (laughs) life and um i think it's good to have that knowledge but also i remember one of my very first clients was an ultra runner Mm -hmm. it's like i need to run 100 kilometers in 24 hours how do i feel for this and i was like well the book says this so let's (laughs) do this and it It was only. It just, doesn't <laughs> work. but a couple of years later because i couldn't understand it you know and so what i'd done for a couple of years was if i if a client came to me with a sport that i just wasn't aware of i would dabble in that sport to get an understanding of it because mm. again something like hydration or fueling during exercise especially within team sports you just don't have the time to sit down and take fluid on your maybe your only opportunity is half time and so you have to adapt those guidelines. Mm-hmm. What I was doing dabbling and done a trail marathon, done some martial arts because I was working with a lot of combat sports, background strength and conditioning, that type of stuff. And so you learn very quickly that it doesn't matter what you know inside a book or inside a qualification, unless you can get that into practical terms for the athlete, then it doesn't matter. And I guess that's where this conversation came about because... I've probably done CrossFit maybe for about a year, year and a half. You do it pretty regularly, but we both have the experience of going through that academic setup. So Mm -hmm. I think the conversation that we could have will be very interesting and valuable for a lot of people.
0: Mm -hmm. Definitely. And I think even what you, you said about trying the different sports, I think for anyone that does sports nutrition, being able to give the advice without actually experience how the athlete feels in that situation is challenging. Mm. So like even if it's team sports, um, if it's CrossFitters, that you can understand the, the challenges that they face or even the gastric, um, like any issues that they have because you've experienced before. And if they're coming back to you like, no, that didn't work. You're like, okay, I understand what can happen. Yeah. And you can really kind of write this is, let's strip it back and go that direction. But for someone that has never experienced it, it's very difficult to actually understand exactly how they're feeling as well. Mm. Um, even in their preparation and the timings and everything, it's going to be very different. But understanding the athlete and what they have to go through, I think is really important.
1: Yeah, no, I totally agree. It's There's one side of it that you can understand the demands of the sport and what they require and how you should structure their training or their nutrition but it's another thing actually experiencing exactly what they're going through and what is actually feasible and what's not feasible at certain times yeah you know so i guess the first place we should just start because we could jump into everything but (laughs) i think the first place to start naturally is how do you know if your nutrition's not where it needs to be
0: Oh, there's lots. Um I think first of all, you're knowing that you're not making any progress um for even say a gym goer or even if we're going to a CrossFitter or a team sport athlete, that they're probably their performance is staying static. Um nothing is really changing and they're putting all the effort into their their training, even if they have a teammate that is flying way ahead of them. They can say, right, what's going on here? And it's usually not down to the training. Um, if they're in like a team sports setting or they're on a specific program that they know that their nutrition actually isn't supporting the, the volume that they're doing or they're picking up uh, niggles, injuries, they're picking up regular um like any bugs, colds, flus, even they're just seeing that nothing is really changing despite all the effort that they're putting in to the training that they're doing. Um, I think that's the biggest indicator. Even knowing yourself, your energy levels are poor. Your your sleep isn't there. You're going into maybe training, feeling hungry, and um, you're not able to push in those sessions, or you're just burning out before you re- you should. You know what you're capable of. So I think they're kind of the main indicators, or even yeah, I think injury is a big one that flags up. we just picking up the little niggles energy wise. Mm. I think that's really the biggest indicator first off.
1: Yeah. No, it's there's so much there, and I think if people are recognizing that there's a couple of things there that are you know light bulbs going off in their head, and that's probably something that you should look into a bit more detail. Sometimes I'm saying, like, oh, could be tiredness, and you know, if you're experiencing tiredness, but that could be other things. But if you're starting to tick multiple of those boxes, then it's like probably you should look at your nutrition a little bit more here, you know. I sort of look at it very simply these days, which is pretty much everyone's nutrition within especially a crossfit setting isn't where it needs to be yeah. you know i don't think i've ever someone's ever came and it's been like we're good here it's, <laughs> always, it's always been right we need to get your energy up because you just can't push the way you're supposed to yeah. and i think that's the first indicator to me is if you know that you're fit enough but you just don't have that next gear to go to mm-hmm. it's like well, well why do you not have that next gear why do you feel sluggish and tired because if we can get that sorted in it, that will support everything else that we're trying to achieve, mm-hmm. you know? So if we are starting to see that we're tired, we're hungry in the sessions, maybe our weight's fluctuating a lot as well, we're picking up niggles, we're getting sick every so often, where do we start then? What's the first mm-hmm. thing we look at?
0: Yeah. I think for a lot of people, they don't actually make the link between any of them
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, or, all, uh, like for, or all of them as well that... That's just what they have experienced um, for such a long time. That's even when you start asking the questions that even then the light bulb comes on. Yeah. And, and they're like, okay, I actually you've never focused on these areas before. And then once you start breaking them down, then they start recognizing, okay, these are areas that I need to work on. Um, rather than it's not just nutrition, it's everything else around it. So it's like your sleep, your preparation and all of those are so important for your performance um but yeah i think there's for a general population or even going into a crossfit gym that people underestimate the mm. uh, not the amount of food that they should be having but even the amount of carbs they should have around their training session and why they're not improving is it looking at their protein how much are they eating and all all of those small little things but like you said it's it's not just one tiered
1: Mm, yeah, something came in my head there that it's sort of been in my mind for a while, especially within CrossFit. You know, you'd mentioned that people don't make that link between all these other areas. that sort of reminded me of when we typically talk about relative energy deficiency in sport, and it's not oh. just it's not just the menstrual cycle and bone health anymore. It's you know the cardiovascular system, it's the respiratory system, it's your brain function, it's the whole body. But when you think about the athletes who make up, especially CrossFit, because of the individual sports that are required within CrossFit, people typically come from a weightlifting background, which is very, you have a category to compete in, or they yeah. come from a gymnastics background, which is very body image heavy, especially on the negative side, or they come from bodybuilding or strength and conditioning and make that that move or transition across. And all of those sports are very heavy and disorder behaviors or perceptions around food and so when you carry that across into a new sport it's like well we need to still be like that or it's hard to tune that so they're almost afraid of fueling their body
0: mm. I think there is I think that's the initial step I think for the likes of the elite athletes they recognize that if they want to get better they have to eat and I think that's what kind of what I really like in CrossFit that you're seeing that the people that are doing well are feeling well and they have all of those things in line now. There's obviously the other side of the spectrum, but you're seeing that maybe they're not progressing at a rate that they should be, or what's kind of holding them back. And I think the body image around CrossFit has really improved people's perceptions around food as well. That you're going for even for females, you're going for that stronger look, the mostly, um, while in the likes of gymnastics or maybe other other kind of weight-based sports, that, that's something that you don't really want. Mm. And I think even working with some other female athletes that, or even gym goers, that the, their biggest uh, fear is putting on that muscle. But I think when you walk into a CrossFit gym, everybody's striving for that. Yeah. So um, I think that's a really good thing. And I think even my mindset shifted from going from a gym goer to a CrossFit gym that I never... I never thought that. Okay, I really need to fuel my body in order to improve your performance, and then the aesthetics kind of comes as a byproduct of that. And yeah. um, but I think people transitioning from one of those weight class sports into CrossFit would definitely struggle with with that.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think that, I think one of the things that does help is that the outcome is slightly different, especially mm-hmm. for like a gym goer, because maybe they are just chasing that specific body whereas you go into crossfit it's very much performance based and as you said like i don't i don't think i've ever had an athlete even if they're a recreation athlete come and say josh give me abs
0: Mm.
1: the body comes as a byproduct of fuel and the actual training yeah that's that's i think a really good shift that you're seeing Mm. but it can be hard for some people to i guess have trust in the process of let's get food in and see how you feel first
0: yeah and that's it you have to get them bought into that before because a lot of even the gym goers that you work with that is aesthetics aesthetics but they aren't improving anything in the gym because they're under fueling and it's once they start fueling well and they start seeing the improvements in the gym and then their body they're like oh okay i kind of understand this a little bit more now but it's breaking that barrier first before you can actually you can kind of win them on that side
1: yeah definitely so let's say someone's, they haven't been feeling right. They've got ticks on those boxes of per nutrition. Mm. What's the first thing that we should be working on to try and get them feeling better?
0: Um, it's definitely dependent on the person, but I think just bringing them back to basics of what are they actually currently doing? And let's have a let's review that. What does your days look like? Um, The days that you're not training versus the days you are training and even getting them to do a food diary. Um, and <laughs> that is step one. And people are just like, no, that's that's too much effort. And it's like, okay, what, what are we actually trying to achieve here? Mm-hmm. So breaking it down, seeing what they're having. And then from there, starting the conversation in that angle. Mm-hmm. Even asking them. they know, Usually they know themselves. Okay, what, what's working well for you? What's not working well? What do you think that you can improve on from doing that food diary? Is there anything that kind of that jumps out at you straight away? And usually people can pick up a good couple of things and even p- implementing that into their practice can make a massive difference straight off the bat.
1: Yeah, I, re- I rarely find that the the barrier is an, is a knowledge deficit. You know, People know mm. the things that they should be doing, but yep. how do they actually do it is the big challenge. Now, maybe, mm. maybe not at the, the elite level, because I think at the elite level, people are starting to be a lot more clued in. So they're like, we have to do x y and z and they're looking for small tweaks yeah Um, but generally for people at that open quarterfinals regional level Mm -hmm. there's stuff that they probably know that they should be doing but actually trying to do it is Mm -hmm. that's the other side of the conversation
0: yeah absolutely and it's asking them like if you're going to the gym you're bringing your gym bag and you have everything else in it like your nutrition should be a part of that process mm-hmm. so if they're not feeling well they're not recovering well then how do they expect to perform well and that is just a constant cycle of that like you know athletes are spending more time in recovery and they're actually performing so it's what they're doing outside of that time that's going to make the biggest impact on their performance and that's all around their planning and preparation for what they're actually expected to do because across the open workouts are what, 10, 15 minutes? Some could be less than five. So, like, it's the preparation around that that's going to be absolutely crucial, not just being on the floor doing it.
1: Yeah, exactly. And one of the things that I said a lot of clients is you can only perform as hard as you can recover, mm-hmm. you know, because as you said, especially in, in team-based sports, and even CrossFit now, it's starting to go into more of like a seasonal sport, but you maybe train five times a week every week every month for years on end but you might only have a handful of competition so the adaptation comes from that training not what you do on the competition floor so we have to be able to support those adaptation that you're chasing whether it is strength or size or fitness or engine or whatever it is mm-hmm. and you do that from feeling it right
0: yeah absolutely yeah people underestimate that even for day-to-day practice like I think a lot of people that go to CrossFit gyms are just you know regular CrossFit goers but everybody wants to improve and I think people don't like letting on that they, they do um and you're seeing people that are improving maybe going ahead of you and it's probably down to that they're feeling well not that they're training more than you and um I think even taking that into consideration or even that the level of intensity that they train at like you're coming into the open and you're expecting to do this absolutely unbelievable performance when you go into the gym and you, you sandbag the workout every other day so <laughs> it's really what are you expecting if you haven't trained that way for a long period of time or even if you're only maybe focusing on trying to do all of the things outside the gym well now it's that has to be built up over a period of time in order for it to work well and efficiently. And know this is right for you.
1: Yeah, it, it's just funny because so many people go to the see go to the ward and they're like, "Nah, I don't like that movement. I'm just going to take it easy." <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know? Can I do something else?
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> can I scale this?
0: <laughs> That's uh, me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I know it's it, it's funny, but then as you say, you, you can get caught up into the the competition hype or the open height and friday night lights and all of that and it's like yeah. why haven't i yeah yeah why have i not improved year on year and yeah you know nutrition could be in there one of the the other problems i think that i a bit of a gripe with with crossfit is the whole sort of i don't like saying it because people are going to get annoyed but the whole cult mentality of crossfit that mm-hmm. when something goes out everyone jumps on it as if it's the the best new thing and so it used to be you know it was very paleocentric at the start and then moved to zone, and then it was very intermittent fasting and and then matt fraser came out and said oh take beta alanine and everyone was jumping on all these things thinking this is it this is how (laughs) we do it you haven't even nailed the basics first never mind even if there's any evidence that any of this will be beneficial to you but it's just that idea that something comes out, we all have to jump on that and not question it, just accept it without challenging it. Like, bed I and yes, yes, out it It's like, you're sandbagging workouts and you're not sleeping well, you're not feeling well. Do you really think this is going to make a difference?
0: I <laughs> know. No? And I think like people just want, they don't want to be told, like, this is the this is what you need to do as in have regular meals this is what your meals should look like if you said to them okay you're not allowed to eat between one and six and then between these hours this is that you have to have no carbs here high carbs like people love that because like oh this is something new If, if it's right absolutely not but um it's even when people are saying i want to specific meal plan for this, this and this and specific hours. And you could give them something that doesn't even make sense, but that's what they're just looking for rather than saying, right, you educate them around it. So I think people just like to jump on the bus of any new product or any new diet because they just, they want a quick fix or they want a different answer, but they'll realize very quickly that it doesn't work.
1: <laughs> Let's see, the shiny object syndrome, as I call it. You know (laughs) the one thing you enjoy but it's so funny because Daniel and I had a conversation just before Christmas we were pretty much saying the same thing that the more you learn and the more you actually work with people you realize that the best return that you get from nutrition isn't the sexy stuff it's just do the basics well Mm -hmm. but people don't don't buy into that it's like have your regular meals Make sure you have carbs in your meals if you're a high performer. Try to time them right. And if you do that, you're probably going to get most of, of, of the return. We can tweak small things, maybe at the elite level, but eat enough to support your sport. Time those carbs well. Look mm-hmm. after hydration. But people don't want to hear that. It's like, no, I need a fast for 16 hours a day. It's yeah, like, yeah. do you really think that's going to help performance?
0: and they they want that golden ticket to just say this is this is what you need but even from all the work that I'm doing even with the hurlers or even any other athletes
1: Mm.
0: like you're when you're having that conversation with them I would say from my first conversations around 60% aren't doing the basic or I actually say 75% aren't doing the basics well they're not structuring their meals. They don't even have an idea what they're going to eat, what their snack should be, having long gaps And like when you fix that, everything else starts falling into place. Um, But like a people just don't want to, that, or they won't do it consistently and they feel like, no, that actually doesn't work for me. But I think consistency with anything, like with any diet is going to work for you if it fits your schedule or fits your life.
1: Yeah, and that's, that's something we, we sort of discussed at at the start there that I would say that trying to get that buy-in and trust early on is going to be the biggest thing that supports further change so the very first thing I would do is just get structured meals in and get them enough food to support the training that they're doing so that they can see an immediate change in energy within the first 7 to 10 days and as long as you're like if you say to someone "Listen, could you do this for 7 days like I'm not asking you to commit for six months or even three months, just seven days. And mm-hmm. by the end of this, I know you'll feel better. And they're like, Yeah, I could do seven days. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, well let's let's get a structured meal plan in. Breakfast, lunch, dinner, and supper. I always say it's groundbreaking stuff. Just mm-hmm. good whole meals, a couple of snacks in there, and everyone always feels better. And you're like, mm-hmm. This is what will work and then we can build off that foundation. Yeah. But it's not sexy and it's not new, it's just it's just the basics that work and have worked for so long.
0: Yeah. and it is. It's um one of the clients I was working with that was increasing the carbs and getting the regular meals in. And um, I had to check with them the other day, and it was just funny. It's like uh, increasing the carbs has really improved my energy levels, my performance, body, blah blah, blah blah. And there was one day that um I wasn't exercising as much. I really cut back my carbs um because that's what you would have done in the past. And I realized that that was the worst thing to do. I ended up just eating a shite all <laughs> day. <laughs> but it, they need to recognize that that difference. And um, I think that's the most important thing. But like you said, Josh, even with nutrition, it's one of those things that it's really difficult to monitor progress initially, or even like the quality of your meals. Like it's very overlooked. So I think given the client real easy progress markers that they can work off because if you're not looking at body composition the numbers on that it's how are we actually going to see that you're progressing this what is actually working for you because it's very easy to pass over all those small little things that are so important
1: yeah there's there's a couple of things that you mentioned there that we'll touch on briefly but i want to come back to the progress um one of the things that we talked about earlier was about that idea of how do people know that your nutrition isn't good and the thing that I always come across is that people don't realize how shit they feel until they actually feel good. Because you know, it's like when people get older and they're just like, oh, I'll get up, up at the bed in the morning and my back's sore. It's like, oh, my back's just sore now because I'm getting old. And it's like, well, that's just because that's common doesn't mean it's normal. You know, there's something there that's going on. And it's the same with their nutrition. They're just like, oh, I'm just I'm tired now. Maybe I didn't sleep well. It's like, no, it could be just because you're not feeling right but then just like you said in that example when people do start feeling their body correctly and then maybe they have a day where they're just not prepared then they realize flip, this actually does make a difference yeah. you know so i think that's that's really important for people to understand but obviously if people are making change there and are trying to actually support the performance and their recovery and their body in the best way they can if we're not looking at body composition and we take scales and we take all of that out of out of the equation how do we see progress over time then?
0: It's really looking at what's important to the client um what's important for them, so really asking what their goals are at the start um what would be important for them if they finished working with you, what would they like to see, and if it was irrespective of scale weight, body composition, and then from there, you can kind of pick a couple of points that's gonna be important to them so some typical ones that come up could be energy levels. It could be um, the quality of their meals are improved. Mm. They're planning and preparing their meals better. Their snacks have improved. Their recovery is better. Um, they're not picking up injuries, but it's what are the ones that they're going to look at at the end of the week and they can look back on. And if they're saying, oh God, I don't really know if I've done that well, but they can look back and, okay, no, I actually did really well in all of these areas, then it's just a tick box thing. So it's kind of reflecting on the week, seeing, what all of those progress markers have been that are important to them have improved and working off the back of that
1: yeah and it's it's interesting so a lot of those ones you were talking about there are are things that we can measure pretty much every day you know mm-hmm. it's not like why oh, i want to improve my performance because what, what does that mean improve your performance and when you break that down into what are the day-to-day things that you can do that you know are going to improve your performance like having more energy structured meals do you have a balanced meal are you hydrated right you know those are things that we can look back and be like here is a week or two weeks or a month of really consistent effort and now we can look at the progress overall and see that yes we have improved
0: yeah exactly and it, when a lot of people do say they want to improve their performance like it is ask them, what, yeah what does that mean okay when if it's are you proving your strength and performance in the gym but really how often are you going to be testing that you're not going to be going in doing a one rep max every day yeah. so how can you actually see that that progress happens and it I like to even ex- like compare it to going in and if you're weightlifting, like you you can't expect to be at 100% every day but it's when you're working off those percentages that's ultimately what's going to build to that that new pb so it's all of those small little things that have to be in place consistently
1: yeah.
0: that that's yeah. when you're going to see the end product
1: yeah i think one of the the challenges for people especially when they come to work with someone like us is that their expectations are built off typical diet culture where it is it's very restrictive it's very it's very quick results you know six week shreds and 12 week boot camps and all of this and you do see this big change and so when they come to someone like you or i it's it's not necessarily you're going to see change in not even body composition, but performance. Like you said, you're not, you're not maxing out your squat every month, mm-hmm. you know, and you're not repeating workouts from the open three years ago. You know, you're just, you're just doing your training. Mm-hmm. So when they're looking at, is this actually working? It's important to have those other metrics to be like, no, look where you were at week one. And then like, now look where we are two, three, four months ahead of time. It's like, yeah, yeah. there's a massive shift there and not just, The performance markers but even like your psychological approach to food has completely changed your mindset the food has completely changed and so Mm. there's more to it than just whatever performance outcome we're looking at
0: yeah absolutely and i think it's even i know it's off topic but even if you're getting someone from like a weight loss goal and they just want to lose weight but their behaviors around food are, are still so poor like until you improve those then the weight loss isn't going to happen because we we could stick someone into a very heavy calorie deficit and they'll lose weight and they'll get results, but the weight's going to go back on if their habits and behaviors haven't changed. And that's the same with performance as well. Mm-hmm. That if you don't have all those small um, habits and behaviors to improve your performance, then there's not going to be a there's not going to be an ongoing improvement in like in whatever sport that you do.
1: Yeah, yeah. I always set up is you know, if you're, if you're building a house, you need those strong foundations and then from there you can put all the sexy stuff on top. Yeah, you
0: know? exactly, yeah.
1: But it is that, you know, asking the client, what what's your definition of progress? And then, I guess, challenging that to some degree and saying mm-hmm. that, you know, progress could be just having more knowledge or having more confidence, you know. Mm-hmm. I, I would work with a lot of practitioners themselves, whether it's dietitians or other strength and conditioning coaches or nutritionists and like we say, like they usually know what to do but they just want to have that confidence that what they're doing is is right mm-hmm. you know so progress isn't something that's always a subjective or objective metric sometimes it's having more knowledge or gain experience or you know being more confident in your decision making or something like that as opposed yeah. to a number on the bar or a number on the scales or whatever it is yeah.
0: And it is a lot for a lot of athletes, is they are so competent. But it's just given their the confidence, and what they're doing is right, and they just need some of that reassurance as well. And that's a lot of the conversations that I have. It's okay. What's what are you doing now? And people are some of the the guys are just I'm not too sure if this is right. And once you instill a bit of confidence in them, then they just progress so much better because they're just they're aware that what they're doing is good, and, and they can just keep going with that
1: yeah i think it's hard because in sport we've always been brought up to be like very much a very like autocratic type coaching style we are told what to do and there's no room for experimentation or you know feeling things through it's we need to do this so let's get their train, do exactly as i say but when you come to the likes of us it's more like well what do you think went well and giving them that freedom to make mistakes and realise that those mistakes are just an opportunity to learn as opposed to, oh, Eva or Josh is going to give off to me. It's like, <laughs> no, go and, go and make the mistakes and then reflect on them and we'll try something different, whatever you feel is, is more appropriate. And then that way they actually learn themselves as opposed to just shouting and saying, you have to do this, because that very rarely works.
0: Yeah. I think for some people... You have to kind of get that balance. Some people like to be told what to do, and if they doesn't work, then they can re- reflect on it that way. But um I think for some people, it's we actually had a conversation, we had a team meeting this morning, and it's, we were talking about reflective practice and how do you actually implement that into someone that really has no idea what to do? And it is you're getting them to do it while actually not telling them what you're doing. um So it is getting them to say, right, what what has worked well so even if I'm doing body composition with the players or getting DEXA scans and they're getting rescanned if things are going really well and you're okay they're like okay right what's what's the next step and like, okay right then you can go back okay what is reflecting on the past couple of weeks and then if you say okay right you've done really good reflection there and you implement it in it that way then they're like oh right okay that's what you meant by reflection but if you went off the bat and okay I want you to reflect they're just there's it's a no-go area and um, they're, they're you're looking at blank eyes. so I think it really depends on the person and where they're starting but I think it's so important to be able to do and for them to understand mm. why what's actually effective for them
1: yeah no I I see that a lot in younger people but both in like an academic space or coaching space or in being a practitioner is they've came out they're starting to work with people and it's very much like i'm regurgitating what i've learned which is what you would expect because i don't think any sort of any qualification whether it's coaching qualification or even academic qualification prepares you for actually working with people so you go out and you're all talking about well, we're going to do our values today or we're going to do reflective practice or, you know, we're going to learn about carbohydrate periodization. And it's like, you just lose people. You know? <laughs> I find this just exactly, what you said, you know, deep in, you know, delving into the psychology side of things and trying to understand people that way. It's, if you go to that approach and just start going into all this type of terminology, people are like, either I don't have a clue what you're talking about, I don't know what you mean, or that or just sounds, that sounds a bit fluffy. You know, we're not <laughs> doing you know? yeah. So if you can build it in in a way that's, as you mm-hmm. said, if you're doing scans and you ask the question of, well, what do you think went well the last six weeks? Or, you know, what's changed from the first scan to this scan? Mm-hmm. And then they're just giving you the information and you're like, you don't even necessarily have to say, oh, you know, that was good reflection or everything. You're just, you're getting them to do it. But in your head, you know that the reflection and you're building those skills, you know? So I think that's very important as any sort of coach to understand what you're doing from an evidence-based standpoint. And yes, build the education up in the players or the athletes that you're working with. But it's not about getting all the scientific jargon to them, you know?
0: absolutely not and you know depends even who you're working with like you're you're talking in the most simple terms and you you completely lose people straight off the back of it but I think even working with any athletes or people going into the likes of the CrossFit Open or their, their training and it's understanding okay what has worked well for them and then being able to Given the reassurance the confidence to just keep doing the same thing or changing it fine tuning it and then working off that um i think for even even a lot of athletes that haven't worked with even a coach or the likes of a nutritionist that they're probably winging it or they're not sure that this is the right thing to do so yeah. i think having the confidence that no one that you're doing is right but then always there's always room for improvement always room for improvement
1: yeah no that's i think that's a really good point that you brought up um obviously you mentioned the, the cross it open there i think we'd be doing a disservice not to touch on the nutritional approach
0: mm-hmm. or lack,
1: lack of nutritional approach <laughs> what's i'm Monster. not, I'm not gonna say, i'm not gonna say anything what's what's your thoughts on how we should approach the likes of the the, the crossfit open
0: Okay um. so I think for anybody that does CrossFit or if they come they compete in it it's looking at well it depends on where they are in their nutrition journey if they have one but like if you're looking at the basic fueling framework you're looking at your last meal three to four hours before then a small snack 60 to 90 minutes out and then you're just looking at your hydration practices and if you have used caffeine in the past, you might use it um before a workout, or some people might use it and have never had it before and might feel like they're going to have a heart attack, but <laughs> they have a bit of adrenaline and, and get them through. But it's again not it has to be practiced. It has to be something that you're used to doing. If you're if you're someone that hasn't had any nutrition practice before protocol then it's you're doing it maybe a week out having making sure that when you're going into your gym session that this is the practice that you're doing and then rinse or repeat it coming into the open that everyone you're doing the workout it shouldn't your nutrition practices shouldn't change the whole pile um if you're going from not to 100 i would say go to 50 because you're probably not going to feel 100 in that practice that you're doing mm-hmm yeah what what would be your thoughts on it josh
1: i think think the only difference i would have in yours is probably if someone is pushing more to the elite level they might add an additional approach or an additional step to that but yeah i I totally agree and you know i've spoke with you know a lot of clients this week regarding the open and the way that i've been basically saying it is any training session you've done up until this point is probably going to be Two, three, four times the length of a cross open workout. Mm -hmm. You know, it's unlikely that nutrition is going to be the reason why you don't perform well if Mm -hmm. you have if you have decent nutrition to start with. Mm -hmm. You know, having those regular meals, having a good, solid, balanced meal a couple of hours out, having a snack sixty to ninety minutes out, keeping on top of your hydration, especially if you're doing it under the Friday night lights. Some people Mm -hmm. like to do it different days, but it doesn't tra- change much from a training day. If you know that you feel great on a, on a Tuesday night and mm. you've got good nutrition that day and you feel fantastic in the training, then just do that because you know you're going to feel good. Mm. The only exception that I would do it is if someone has all of that nailed, I might just increase their carbs slightly the day before or the day of. And that's maybe the only change, but okay. that might not actually come in until like quarters or, you know, into into the semi stage you know because that might be challenging
0: that's really dependent on what the workout is like if it's 10 minute long like increasing the carbs the day before might make you you don't really need to do it but then if it's one that's 35 minutes you're looking okay right now we need to have a bit more of a strategy in place but there was a good podcast i listened to recently and it's even for the high performers or team sport athletes or anyone high performance it's it's an ordinary performance on a special day. So mm. things like the way you train, um, you train as you play, you play as you train. So it's just going into, there's probably a little bit more adrenaline there, but your practices shouldn't really change from day to day. Then you go into the open workouts.
1: Yeah. It's, I see it as just another training there, you know, for, mm. because again, when you think about the training side of things the open is specifically designed for inclusivity you know it's not designed to push the oh. the top guy like the top guys just and girls just see it as oh this is just this is probably one of my three workouts today <laughs> you know <laughs> because <laughs> it usually is very low skill it's usually a lot of body weight stuff and then a couple of the more advanced skills comes in to separate the the different type of people or different levels of athlete and then you go into the quarters and that sort of differentiates a little bit more but when we're talking a 5 10 15 even 30 minute workout it's unlikely that your carbs or your hydration is going to be the reason why you don't perform well you know so as I said if you're sandbagging workouts all year and you go into the open it's like you are probably going to suffer you know
0: (laughs) or it's more that you're just saying to yourself I can't sandbag this so you push yourself more and you probably do better than a normal day-to-day um class workout. So it's you probably will do better out of adrenaline like any competition that like you can push yourself, you can go a little bit darker than um you can on a day-to-day basis. But it's not going to be the difference between like if it was a five minute it was a I don't know if it was a 20-minute workout and it was as many rounds as possible. You're it's not going to be a difference between getting five rounds and 15. It's probably between getting an extra two or one and a half. Yeah. So you're not going to make that massive gap if you haven't already been been training appropriately for it.
1: Yeah, no, definitely, and that's it's funny because you know, when Daniel and I were chatting, we were saying it's nutrition has such a massive impact in performance, but once you have it relatively nailed, it becomes quite meaningless, <laughs> you know, <laughs> which yeah. is it's sad for us i know like if you're doing a if you're doing a four-time workout or if you're doing an amrap it's not going to be the nutrition that's the issue it's your tolerance to that level of intensity because no nutritional factor is going to be the limiting factor as to why you can do more rounds or not you know if it's an amrap it's your ability to tolerate the lactic acid you know it's if it's five minutes having carbs before probably isn't going to affect it because that's not the limiting factor within the the energy process you yeah, know yeah. But if you don't have the basics right then you will you're putting yourself at a at a back foot already
0: yeah and it's even again the and around it like for say some of the guys that i'm working with that have been on the panel for years like their fuel up process is it's on cruise control they don't even have to think about it but it's getting someone to that stage where they are confident in doing it and it's fine to repeat things over and over again if it's not broken don't fix it but I think a lot of people think that there's something new they're um, not performing where I want to be and it is just that fine-tuning when you're at that level but um for people that haven't really put this into practice and maybe they're doing it now, they're probably going to feel that gut discomfort or food's not sitting well, or even for myself, even being in a new gym now and some of the the workouts would be at a different intensity that I'd nearly, or maybe I'm just sandbagging them. (laughs) (laughs) But The the snacks I would have previously had that would have sat well with me, I can't have them now. Mm. So it's looking back at my timings and what am I actually consuming and how much, but that's through practice. Now, if I went in and I've never done it before, you're going to suffer. And yeah. um, so it, it's finding the right foods when and how much for you. And it's going to be different for everyone.
1: Yeah. I think it comes back to that point you said earlier that make sure that we trial everything out in training first before actually putting into practice. And that's that goes for any athlete, whether it's someone going for a, a 10K or they're going to play um, hurling at the weekend or they're doing any crossfit competition. The last thing you want to do is try something out on the day that you haven't kneeled down and trained first.
0: Yeah. It's crazy.
1: <laughs> That's
0: like, yeah, it'd be like a runner going out with brand new shoes and them absolutely cutting the heels of you. Like you, you would you wouldn't do it. You have to ease yourself into stuff like that. Um but people like to just try different things, or even they maybe never experienced it before. So they're just taking it and
1: bringing it well i think you sort of said it earlier that you can get caught up on the hype of it and if you're Mm -hmm. if everyone's doing the open or if you're going for a big match and you see other people doing it's like oh yeah have some of this here because everyone else is doing it And you're like yeah i'll give it a go but not realizing that i could have issues with your gut or if you're taking caffeine for the first time you know it could feel as if your heart's about to beat out of your chest you know (laughs) there's um there's just there i guess there's just risks associated with everything and if you don't practice it then you don't know what the outcome can be so no. it could be you could try it and have totally no effect mm-hmm. or you could try it and have to be running to the toilet when you're supposed to be yeah. doing deep snatches here which <laughs> isn't going to go, you know it going
0: well yet.
1: that's yeah. that's one thing i have seen in especially gaelic a lot more recently is a lot of teams are going to the gels that would have been in endurance sports. And you're like, if you see one team doing this, please don't replicate it on a game because they're they're notorious for giving stomach issues, whether it's nausea or whether it literally is diarrhea running down your leg. So just practice it first, see if it works. And if it doesn't, then it's no big deal. Like there's other fuel sources.
0: I know. And I think that's a big thing for me at the minute. It's uh, gels, 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 but it's it's what the athlete can actually consume and tolerate. It's just it's down to preference, not that one thing is better than the other. Yeah. Um. So if lads can't consume a whole lot of, just say, sports during a halftime, that probably the gel could be a little bit easier for them if just getting the electrolytes and stuff in. But then others. Would struggle to even take water on board so it's Mm. really individual but um laughing at you (laughs) it's saying that people just jump on the bandwagon for anything and everything so um it's something that we need to have a probably a bigger voice for and it's the education around that too
1: yeah i think it's the education but i think sometimes learning the hard way is an important lesson too you know
0: (laughs) yeah I actually had a conversation last night with one of the lads and I was like how did how did the training session go and he just goes uh, uh, too close <laughs> and I was like you learn that way and he goes yeah I've learned the hard way <laughs>
1: yeah but you don't forget lessons like that you know
0: no. yeah
1: I remember days at the track and if you didn't feel well you were cramping or if you get too close you were being sick at sessions and you yeah. do learn very quickly that right we have to space this out and you learn to listen to your body and just keep keep things consistent you know i think that's it's the biggest thing of it isn't it just finding what works for your body getting some sort of timings down having structured meals staying on top of hydration and and trialing everything first before actually putting it into a match situation or a competition situation
0: yeah so even for the people doing the open it's having that planning and preparation around their meal. So what time are they doing the workout at? at, And then, okay, working backwards, like, all the time. So, okay, what time is my last meal going to be? What time is my snack going to be? And if they have that nailed down and are able to just repeat that, then that's really important. So, like you said, having those regular meals all the time, knowing the time of your workout or the time you're training at, and Mm. always working backwards that way.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it it sounds complicated, but most people will be in a sort of structured routine of I train at a seven o'clock class every week or you know, every mm-hmm. Tuesday and maybe train a bit later on a Wednesday and but it generally stays the same, so their timings relatively yeah. stay the same. Um do you think it makes much of a difference? So say someone who's training like seven o'clock and someone trains at nine o'clock and we want them to have a big meal, you know, a couple of hours beforehand, two, three, four hours beforehand. If just life happens and they have to have a set lunchtime at a certain time, and that's their last chance for a big deal or a big meal, is it really going to cause much of an issue if there are an hour or two outside of that window?
0: Not really, because like any kind of fueling that it's what you're doing consistently, like one meal isn't going to make a massive difference. It's what you've done for the rest of the day or the days previous to that. So if you're only really focusing on, oh shit, I didn't get that meal in, then there there's a problem there and um, so it's kind of what have you had for your breakfast what have you had for your lunch okay what have you had the day before and if you're consistently eating low carbs just say from monday to thursday and then you're trying to just fuel up it's kind of the ship is sailed there so it's what you're doing on seven days a week rather than what one meal on one day of one week of a month so
1: yeah i think sometimes we can, can overcomplicate nutrition that you spend so much time studying and reading and trying to get the nitty gritty, but actually keeping it simple seems to work best. Yeah. And then you can sprinkle that more advanced stuff on when you need it and when yeah. it's appropriate. But for most people, keeping it simple seems to be the way forward.
0: Absolutely, yeah. And knowing if that's if if there is a chance of that happening that they're going to miss that meal, it's okay. What's plan B? rather than because it is important that you're not going into the likes of a workout feeling hungry because even for your head and that is like oh no I don't have the energy there so it's always kind of a plan b like even I know that if I was in the gym and you're starting to just not feel it even taking one or two jelly sweets it's it's complete placebo effect but it, it helps so it's like if a placebo works it works but for someone that it is always having that plan b there
1: yeah, I think that's a really good point. Um, Just as a wider talking point, what, do you, what happens when life doesn't go to plan, mm-hmm. and especially for athletes, I always recommend that, whether it's in their training bag or their kit bag, or even in their car, that they always have a couple of sources of snacks or something, so that yeah. if you did get called into a meeting or you didn't get a chance to have lunch, that at least there's something there that you know you can feel with. And it may not be absolutely perfect what we'd want, but something is better than nothing.
0: Absolutely, yeah. On my car, there's stuff flittered around it. <laughs> <laughs> Just a case, and it's, it's even more for thing. but I think for someone like that, if they're really expecting to perform well and they have been for a long period of time and then something like that happens that it doesn't trip them up yeah. that you can say okay if you're having if this happens this is your plan b if you have this this and this that is enough carbs for you and even knowing knowing that and for them to be confident in okay that's 60 grams of carbs that's enough for me an hour before then they'll feel better even mentally than not having something there yeah
1: that's pretty much, I, th- I would say, that a lot of my work is is the performance stuff is relatively straightforward. I always find, especially with athletes, because if someone's been training from the word three or four right through until now they're 20, 25, 30, their whole life has been revolved around sport. It's like, you're training at these times, you have to get the training. You've probably played multiple sports. So they're always ready. They're always prepared. And when it comes to nutrition, it's like, tell me what I need to do. And so <laughs> a, a lot of them are... A lot of them once they actually understand the amount that they have to be eaten and the timings, it's like, right, we have that pretty much nailed. But it's when life deviates from a normal schedule. If you have to stop in apple green or if your friends went out for lunch or you know people want to go to McDonald's, how do you make that plan B? What, what is the plan B for a start? Can we make good, helpful decisions that's going to support your training while also allowing yourself to enjoy the other aspects of food, like socialising, yeah. you know, and that's, I think, where people struggle, as you said, when life goes to trip them up, how do they adapt to that? How do they respond to it?
0: I think it's even for, I think yourself and Daniel talked about it as well, but like for athletes, very few of them like are going to say, I need 500 grams of carbs per day. Mm-hmm. Like, it's understanding what that looks like on a plate, and if someone, if they're in their family's house or they're out for lunch or they're in a friend's house, that so they can just look at their plate and be like, okay, I need a little bit more carbs here. I probably need to increase my protein. That's what a good balanced meal looks like. So like feeling up for a competition or if it was a match or if it's um a full day CrossFit competition,
1: yeah. that
0: you don't have to get into the nitty-gritty of things. Like if you understand what a, a, a good portion of plate of carbs looks like, then doing that well is like you're you're far ahead of the game, rather than focusing on I need to get X, Y, and Z. When it's you just have to bring it back to the simple terms.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, I I totally agree. I think there's a lot there for for people to take away from. And I think I think probably the first half of that conversation that we're having is probably a lot of stuff that people don't expect. You no, know, whereas the second half is is a lot more practical. So I think it's a good balancer of there's more to nutrition than just the food, but also when it comes to the food, it's, you know, it is about keeping things simple. It's about making it fit their lifestyle and their schedule while also supporting the demands of their their sport, which usually means more food, more carbs and timing them, right? And then making sure that we have a, I guess, a training day plan before we implement it into a match day or competition day. And I think that will cover pretty much everyone's basis. And then for anyone who wants to take a step further, you can sprinkle on different things. Mm-hmm. Is there anything sure. you'd add to that? No,
0: I think you covered that all really well. And um, I think it is just getting people to get things back to basics before they actually start and the sprinkles on. I think that's what's really important. People want to go like from the top of the pyramid to the bottom. But if they're doing the basics well and practicing it well and doing it consistently, then you're you're really looking at just making those small extra one two percent
1: yeah i always just relate it back to the gym environment because a lot of people are used to that that you you didn't go into the gym and just do a snatch straight off the off the bat you know or clean jerk it was it was broken down into individual components but i think Mm -hmm. people think with nutrition that they're probably further along because it's something that they do every single day for the last 15 20 30 40 years so they think that they're maybe further ahead when it's really it's probably not where it needs to be for your sport so we do need to go back to basics and and just being open to trying that and seeing the difference when you get that initial buy-in
0: for sure yeah
1: in terms of just closing out Eva I want to ask you probably just one question I think Can (laughs) (laughs) can you tell me about a client or an athlete or just an even an experience that's really changed the way that you work as a nutritionist
0: oh um i wouldn't i wouldn't pick one out but i think for working with any athletes um or just general population that like you said it's not just giving them the information but it is really understanding them as a person Mm. what works well for them and then finding those little nuggets that they will respond to so it's not just throwing all the information at at once so like anyone some people are further on in the journey some people are way way back and understanding what's going on in their life I think is the most important and building the relationship with them um. And then from there you can actually start making changes. But if you're going, and I kind of nearly felt like it was that in the clinical setting. You're just throwing information at them, and it's just bouncing back off. But if you can really understand them, have a little bit of crack with them, get um understanding of where their heads at, and then you can kind of get the information in that way. And then yeah, I think that's the biggest learning for me that we're not ro well. And it's I knew it's not a biggest thing, but we're not robots. So in order to actually help improve someone's nutrition or even their lifestyle or their their relationship with food, mm. you really have to understand the person first and then the information can follow.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. It's just having that common humanity and empathy for the person and then focusing on what needs to be changed. But if you don't have that, then people respond very poorly. Definitely so. Yeah. Thanks very much for your time, Eva. And thanks for the conversation. I really appreciate it. Where can people find out more about you and see your your content?
0: So I am all on Instagram. So you'll see me at Eva Hoy Nutrition. And other than that, on DavieNutrition.com as well. So all my links will be on that for consultations. Or you can get me on Instagram.
1: Yeah. And I'll link everything in the show notes for people to get a hold of you and you get plenty more questions.
0: <laughs> Thanks so much for having me on, Josh. Really appreciate
1: it. Thanks for listening to the Complete Performance Podcast with your host, Dr. Josh Williamson. I hope you enjoyed the conversation with Eva and can take away some really good lessons to help improve your performance, no matter what the sport. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. To catch all the latest from me, you can follow me on Instagram at Dr Josh Williamson, as well as check out all of the links and resources in the show notes. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.